Okay, so we've been going through the book of Exodus, and um, as I've shared, we're going to do basically the first half of Exodus this summer, and Lord willing, next summer, um, do the second half. And I'll remind you that um, really, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Exodus story is the great salvation story of the Old Testament. It is the paradigm of God saving his people. We've been seeing so many different elements to that paradigmatic story. We've been seeing how God is motivated by his ancient covenant promises. Remember, um, God remembered his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that was what was the occasion for him to start taking action as he hears his people groaning in exile. And uh, you'll remember also how Um, In order for there to be this rescue out of Egypt, there also needs to be a judgment on Israel's enemies. So you can't really extract or like um, separate salvation from judgment because it is because God judges Egypt that Israel will be saved. Because God's enemies are destroyed, therefore his people are rescued um, and so last time we were talking about the, the plagues and this pattern of God. Um, a lot, there's actually a lot of patterns that we looked at, but one of the patterns was God particularly defeating the um, gods of Egypt, is what it said. And we're going to see that again in our text. It's also um, God showing his special favor to Israel over against Egypt. So like, well, all the uh, darkness and um, you know, the hail and everything is coming on the Egyptians. There's completely, um, there's an absence of all that stuff in the land of Goshen where Israel is. And so today now we're going to come to the climactic plague. And um, this is uh, in Exodus 12. This is the death of the firstborn. And what we're going to do is we're just going to step through this passage. It's a long, as you can see, it's a long chapter. We'll see how far we get. We're going to step through it and um, just just really try to digest why is God kind of slowing down the pace of the story here? Um, anytime there's sort of like a slowing down of the pace of the story, it's like, hey, this is important. Pay attention here. Uh, there's a reason why I'm giving you all this detail. So let's look, let's look now at Exodus 12, and I'm just going to read the first 13 verses. We'll, we'll begin there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make for your count. For, for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat of the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. 
and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I shall pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, so lots to uh, think about here. Um, well, let's just start with uh, uh, the, all the instructions about how they are to eat this Passover. So are there any things that struck you as um, interesting or important about the instructions about how they are to eat it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, like the roasting it whole, right? <laughs> yeah, that is striking. Um, and so some of these, I'm sure all of these things have some significance. Some of these things in, in my study, I just, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, are not clear, clear yet. That's one of the things I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Definitely, this is a key theme, is this manner of, of eating in haste. So this is how you shall eat of it, verse 11, with your belt fastened. And the idea here is that most of the time when they're like doing, uh, well, most of the time when they're just relaxed, they've got their flowy gar garments just out, right? But then when they've got to do um, lots of walking or they're getting ready for hard work outside or whatever, they'll gather up the folds of their garment and uh, put a belt around them, some of that, they, this is called girding your loins, so that they can actually move around um, easily. Well, they would never eat with your loins girded, with your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Right? Um, that's, that's what you do when you're ready to go outside, ready to go places. But this is how they are to eat the Passover. They're eating it in haste. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting ready for a swift exit out of Egypt. And that's, that's exactly why they have to be ready to go in haste. Did I see your hand, Anna? Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Yes, that's right. This is not, not leisurely at all. They, they need to be ready, like you said, just to be able to walk out the door at a moment's notice. Good. 
Yeah, and the unleavened bread is connected to that, right? They're not allowing the bread to rise. Like you normally, if you want bread to rise, you, you work the yeast into it, and then you, you give it time to, to rise. Um, not so here. Um, it's just sort of like, you know, basically making pancakes, as it were. You know, <laughs> just let's go. Make this fast. Yeah, Lori? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Burn the rest, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. There's not gonna be not gonna be a tomorrow here where we're gonna have the leftovers. Yeah, that's another thing we're gonna see is um there's there's lots about how um they're they're needing to basically to to be ready to go with all of their possessions loaded on them. Yeah, Brian. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, great question. So how often do they actually eat meat? And you know, from the stuff I've read, it, it is rare. You know, it's something that they would not have all the time. They were definitely, um, you know, pastoral people who would keep uh, animals for the purpose of meat. Um, but it was not like your everyday, you know, having a hamburger every single day or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's not exactly instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the part there about, um, you know, roasting, don't boil or um, eat it raw. I, I don't know the significance of that. I don't, I don't. I don't know why that's so important. He's very emphatic about that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, could be. Yeah, there could be like practical reasons. Yeah, that's a good thought. Yeah, Anna. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the bitter herbs and later Jewish tradition would connect this with the bitterness of their um of their bondage. Um and that may well be the significance of why that's why God's doing that. And that that's a key thing in all of this, right? This is um this is the first Passover we're hearing about, but we're about to hear how this is going to become the routine. This is going to be something that they're going to do every single year. And uh, before we get to that piece, though, I do want to draw our attention to a couple other important details. Why is verse 7 so important? They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel. That's the top bar across those posts um, in the, of the houses in which they eat. Why, why does God command that the blood be put in that visible place. 
Yeah. Okay. Where, where do you see that? That's exactly right. Yeah. We're going to hopefully land there, the many connections in this passage to the sacrifice of Jesus. This is part of why it's so important to us as Christians that we know this passage. Of course, we're not celebrating the Passover anymore, right? But this doesn't mean that we're, you know, uninterested in all of these details. And just to connect with what you said, look at, look at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this is a key thing with um, the whole sacrificial system. If you look in the book of Leviticus, it's not just that they slay the animal. They also collect the blood, and then there's always this public aspect to it where they'll put the blood on the altar or in some place, like on the horns of the altar, where it's visible. And, of course, God's omniscient doesn't need um, us to, like, oh, here it is, God, look at this, right? Um, but but there's a, it's a sign for us as well, he says. Um, God is seeing this blood that's being presented to him, and he's saying, I will spare this house. So now just make the connection here. What What is the significance, then, of the blood of the Lamb? Yeah, Anna? Exactly. The, the two words there, Passover in verse 13, and then the, the noun form at the end of verse 11, Passover, is, those are basically very closely related words, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's not being done by a priest. It's not being done in the tabernacle. Eventually, when the tabernacle is set up and they have that, that is where the Passover lambs will be sacrificed, and that's where the Passover will take place. Um, that's why, for example, Jesus needed to return to Jerusalem for the Passover. Um, there are the three great feasts, right? And Passover is the first one where three times a year, every male of a certain age and up needs to return to Jerusalem for the sacrifice, right? But at least initially, here before the, the, the creation of the tabernacle, you're right, it is a, a difference, right? Um, and it's a sign when he says in chapter 19, you are a kingdom of priests, that there is a priestly character to all Israel, right? Yeah, and even, um, you know, notice here the family unit, the importance of the family unit, um, What's, it's house by house, right? And if your house isn't big enough, we'll get, get with your neighbor, right? It's a sign of how God deals with us as families, right? If you're in this particular family belonging to Israel, then the lamb counts for all of you, right? Um, there's this way in which God is dealing with his people as, as a family. And just to connect the dots um, to what I was trying to say earlier about the blood of the lamb. What's the significance of the blood of the lamb? I hope you see just what, what Anna was saying, that it's a sacrifice. In other words, it's a substitute for the firstborn, as we'll, we'll see in a moment. Um, it's a sacrifice. So 
Whereas everybody else in Egypt is going to lose the firstborn son. The one, the houses where the lamb has been sacrificed, he sees the blood. He sees there's already been bloodshed here in this house. So God says, I will pass over this house, right? So there must be bloodshed in every single house. God isn't showing favoritism. But in his justice, he appoints a substitute um, for Israel. Did I see your hand? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so is this a renewal or, uh, yeah, is this a renewal of the covenant when Abraham... Um, sacrifice those animals in Genesis 15. They're cut in half, and then God passes through. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely a renewal of God's relationship with his people. Um, it's also, I hope you realize, it's the foundation of his relationship. In, in many, many respects, it's a foundational thing. Do you notice that at the beginning? Verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. In other words, here's where the year begins. It begins with the salvation that I'm doing for you. Um, this is really where their history begins as a people, as a nation. Um, later, later, Revelation will say, um, you know, Deuteronomy says, has this ever happened before where a God has taken for himself a people from out of another people to create them as a people? It's, it's an awesome thing, but God is basically creating a people out of nothing. He's taking this people that previously was all, you know, intermixed there in Egypt. He takes them out of there. He creates them as a people and founds them as a nation here. And the foundation of the nation is the story of the Exodus. And that's why, you know, he says, this is going to be the first of the months. And then look with me um, at verse 14 through 20. I'm not going to read all of this, but um, he's basically... He's basically saying, look, this, what I'm telling you to do this first Passover is going to be the paradigm for the rest of the Passovers you're going to do. He says, this day to, shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as an everlasting statute, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And he sets up this seven days of unleavened bread, this holy assembly, um, and and he's saying, look, this is, this is something I want you to do every single year at the beginning of the year. And he even says this, look at verse 19. If anyone um, doesn't keep this feast and eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. So wh- what I wanted to ask here, and I know we haven't actually read those verses there, 14 through 20, but what I want to ask you is, why do you think it's so important that they be reenacting the Passover each year? Like, why does he not just have them do it once, they're saved, and that's great? Why, why is it so important every single year, at the beginning of the year, that they do this? Yeah. Right, yes, very forgetful people. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's connected to what Ryan was raising about. Is this like a renewal of the relationship? Absolutely, right? So what's happening? At the beginning of every year, they're having their relationship with God renewed by remembering this is the people we are. We are the people rescued from bondage, right? We are the people God graciously brought out of Egypt. Um, When he destroyed Egypt with all the plagues he brought on them, he's passed over us. We are the passed over people, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, at the Passover, <laughs> um, what's going on there? Obviously, he's, and they would have all understood this. Um, now, this is what you need to remember, right? And this is kind of a little bit stealing the thunder from later, right? But um, previously, you were to remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, we are to remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of bondage to sin and to Satan, and slavery to all your sin, and now you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb, right? The Lamb of God, who is Jesus, right? Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and even just to go one step further, I think you're exactly right. What Scott's bringing out is just like, if you weren't there, you don't have like the the memory in your head of what it was like to, to leave Egypt, right? You get to, as it were, reenact this, Right? And to experience again, oh, this is what my forefathers did. They were eating unleavened bread um, w- with their, you know, their, their loins girded, ready to go. Um, and what, what's amazing about the, the unity of God's people across the generations is that there is a sense in which when you are taking the Passover, when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you are actually there at the foundational event. So um, Deuteronomy 5. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. This is Deuteronomy 5.2. And then he says this, Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. And what's amazing is that all the people who are gathered there are the people who are the children of those who were there at Horeb. Right? Right? 
And so maybe there were a few who were little kids or teens um, and who didn't die in the, the wilderness wandering um, and who actually physically were there at, um, uh, um, at Sinai. But there are a whole bunch of people who weren't there physically. And yet what God is saying is covenantally, you were there. And so this covenant is made with you. And he even says, your eyes have seen what the Lord your God did bringing you out of Egypt. And they're like, well, wait, uh, you can see that? <laughs> well, he says, actually, you did, because you were there. Um, think about um, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Levi paid tithes, tithes to Melchizedek. Wait a second, Levi, he wasn't born for like a couple generations after that, right? But he was there in the sense that he was there in his father, Abraham. And as Abraham paid tithes, Levi also was paying tithes. So there's this intergenerational unity that really makes no sense to us individualistic modern Americans. And we have to really get our heads around this if we're going to understand how, the, how God deals with people. Why, why do we do infant baptism? Well, it was the same reason for why they circumcised babies, because of the uh, intergenerational covenantal unity of, um, of the people of God. And so this feast, when they... When they celebrate this, it is saying we're remembering, but it's also saying we are Israel. We are those who were saved. I was saved from, Israel, uh, from Egypt. I was saved. I personally who am eating this food. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it either either God is no longer dealing with his people um, in terms of families in this present age, in which case ba the Baptists are right, or God is continuing to deal with us as families in this present time. And if that's the case, then we have so much woven deep into, even like this chapter in Exodus, um, that says God deals with his people as families. If, you, if your father is a follower of, of Yahweh, of the Lord, um, and if he was saved out of Egypt, then you were saved out of Egypt. You're, you're a citizen of Israel um, simply by birth. And, of course, you have to embrace that by faith. Every generation has to own that. But it doesn't change your fundamental identity when you're first born. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, this is a ritual that is, that is um, representing salvation to them. It's a sign of their salvation. Just because you eat the Passover doesn't make you automatically saved, right? And I think that's what you're getting at. Same thing with baptism, right? You still have to embrace it by faith. Um, but that's the whole point, is you're enacting these things to renew your faith, 
right? That's the, that's the purpose for this. Now, let's uh, um, look at... Uh, Let's look at verse 28. So verses 21 through 27 is more details about how they're to do this, um, putting the blood on the lintel and the doorposts. Um, and, oh, here's even, let's just look back at verse 26. Um, here's again um, the sense of the purpose of this. It's a passing on of the faith from one generation to the next. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the, the key word there is our, right? Our, yours, and mine, right? Um, this, is a, this is a key way in which children are being included in the identity of the people of God. Um, as they're seeing this Passover, like, hey, what's this all about? And the, the parent responds with identity statements. This is who we are. You and me, we are those saved from Egypt. Now, verse 28, it says, then the, Lord, sorry, then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, so they're actually going out there, they're doing... Um, you know, the sacrificing of the Passover lambs. They're putting the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. And now we read verse 29. At midnight, <clears throat> the Lord struck down, <coughs> excuse me, struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened bread, uh, bread, unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the, to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Okay, so there you have it. The, the, the actual narration of the great tenth plague that God brought on Egypt and what I wanted to ask you, um, just to process this together, um, what's, what's significant about the fact that um, Pharaoh 
lets Israel go through the front door, as it were. Um, Israel doesn't have to sneak out. They don't, they don't like, um, make a break for it. He tells them, go with all your, all your stuff. And in fact, the Egyptians say, here, take more of our stuff, right? What's the significance of that? Why, why? It's clearly a key theme here. Why is that so important? Yeah, is, is it a witness to, to the nations of the power of God for his people? Um, I think that's definitely going on here. That's right. That's right. So this is part of what's going to make the Lord famous among the nations is the way in which he delivers his people. Good. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there were all these laws among um, ancient or eastern covenants where, like, when a, a great country conquers a smaller country, there's, there's all these covenants where they'll say, um, whenever a runaway slave from our country comes to your country, you've got to hand them back, right? Um, that's our property. Bring, bring that person back, right? Um, here, is, Pharaoh is relinqu- relinquishing and releasing his claim on them. And saying, you guys are free to go. Right? And so there's a, there's a sense of like him, him saying, like, I've, I've been bested, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm letting you go free. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yes, the word plunder is very important. Yes, yeah, so this is a triumphal procession out the front door with the spoils of war. It says, thus they plundered the Egyptians, right? Uh, end of verse 36. Um, this is a victory procession. The Lord has just done mortal combat with the gods of Egypt. The Lord has won single-handedly, and now his people get to go free, as, not as like runaway slaves, but as free people, Right? So this is a this is a liberation victory story. Um, good, yeah, it's a deliverance exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What it, what does it mean when Pharaoh says in verse thirty two, "Be gone and bless me also." Yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't have a chance to read verses, uh, chapters 5 through 11 in full. But if we had read them, um, we would have seen this theme of, first, um, Pharaoh saying, well, you can go, but don't take your herds, or, you know, the males can go, but don't take your families, right? He, want, he wants them to come back. Um, now he's saying, fine, guys, you all can go, and yes, you can take your flocks with you. Um, and what's interesting also is that at the end of all of these plagues um, that, that uh, in the previous plagues, Pharaoh is asking Moses, have mercy, pray for me, right? Um, he's saying to Moses, like, the only way we're going to be delivered from this plague right now, like the darkness that we're under, is if you pray, right? And so here's this final 
prayer request, bless me also. Um, if we're to have any reprieve from this, it will be by your prayers. Yeah. And even um, remember uh, later in chapter 19, he's going to call them um, a kingdom of priests. And so there's this missional quality to Israel's existence. Even as, you know, Israel's being judged in this passage, there's also a missional quality. Like the, the children of Abraham are supposed to be the means of blessing to the nations. Let's read on how that's going to happen. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. And okay, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, there's this exclusion of all the nations from Israel. No foreigner may eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger so shall sojourn with you, in other words, somebody who's from another country and they're living in Israel, for a long time, and they want to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his meals be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So what is this saying about um, God's attitude toward the nations? Yes, Anna. Right. Exactly. Yeah, even from the very beginning, and this is just so important that we internalize this, you know, there's this very firm boundary between Israel and the nations, right? And th this is saying it very clearly. No foreigner may eat the Passover. You can't have this redemptive fellowship with God if you are a foreigner. But then it turns around and says, but there's grace, Right? There's a way to become Israel, even if you are not Israel, right? And that way is through circumcision. And this is part of why years later, right, in the New Testament, everybody's saying about all these Gentiles who are becoming Christians that they need to be circumcised. It's, it's coming straight from this passage, right? We, if you're going to be part of God's people, you need to become Israel, right? And so that's the only way in the Old Covenant, that anybody could ever truly become in fellowship with God is if they actually become Israel by circumcision. And, of course, later we'll realize that um, God is surpassing um, what the Old Covenant circumcision with a new circumcision of the heart by the Spirit um, so that now the church is a new and better Israel that includes both Gentiles and Jews. But even back here, even back here, it's so important that we see that God was welcoming the foreigner if they become Israel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're circumcised, right? Right. That's right, yeah. 
right. Yeah, so it's a really important point when we say all are welcome, and to be very careful how we say that, right? It's not saying all are welcome, um, and you can just do whatever you want, let your sin run rampant, right? All are welcome when they come as Israel, which means you receive the sign of circumcision, which then means you are now under the, the entire old covenant, right? Which ver the very first command is, you shall have no other gods before me, right? So you're now bound to all the, the, the duties of um, the people of God. Yeah, Betty? Right, yes. Yeah, the only way to be saved from the angel of death is if you stay in the house all night long, right? And there's a picture here of like with Abraham, sorry, uh, with Noah. The only way to be saved is to be in the boat, right? You've got to be in the ark, um, the, that, that visible um, protective container, right, um, from God's judgment. And the church is that today. Right? That is the place where you are shielded, covered um, from the wrath of God. And, and let's make some of those connections um, now as we're thinking this through. Um, oh, I did want to make one other really just quick point. Verse 38 says, A mixed multitude also went up with them. Um, what this, I think, is saying is that in most people, um, understand, it's, a, it's a rare word, the word mixed multitude. But um, it seems to be that saying that from the very beginning, Israel was not comprised just of the physical offspring of, of Jacob. Um, from the very beginning, there were people who were following this clause here in verse 48 of a person becoming Israel, even though their literal heritage or their, you know, their biological heritage is from the nations. Um, from the very get-go, people are are being joined um, to Israel, and the nations are being blessed through the offspring of Abraham. So let me just now connect some dots here for other um, ways in which this passage echoes forward in the, in the Scripture. So one is the passing over theme, the idea that, like, there's a way to be saved, but um, it's not bypassing God's justice, right? And just think of all the places where this happens where, like, the ark, God is passing over Noah and his children, but they still have to pass through the waters of judgment, right? Or um, in Second uh, Kings 19, um, when the Assyrians are surrounding the gates of Jerusalem, it says, And that night the angel of the Lord went and struck down 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold... These were all dead bodies, but they, the angel of the Lord does not strike the people of Israel, right? So there's this, there's this pattern of God visiting judgment and, um, and passing over his people. Um, this is something that goes all the way back to our passage. It's also something that is yet to come. What will be the greatest Passover of all time? The passing over of God in judgment. Well, it's actually even further in the future. Not just Jesus on the cross. Of course, that's the foundation of it, right? But 
There will come a day when God will judge all the peoples of the earth, right? The last day of judgment. And on that last day, will you be destroyed? No, you will be passed over in judgment. God will not visit you with his, his judgment. He will not throw you into the lake of fire. You will be passed over. Why? Because of then the other big connection we need to make, which is to the Passover lamb. So Passover lamb, I just want to read a couple of um, verses to you. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may become a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. All right, so now that you're all experts on Exodus 12, explain what that verse means. What is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 5, 7? He says, clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, for Christ the Passover has been sacrificed. What's, what's, make the transition. What are the, what are the um, connections that Paul is making back to the first Exodus? No, no more eating leaven, right? Yeah, having a, having a new heart is, is the idea here, right? He's not talking about whether you eat bread that has yeast in it, right? Um, that, that was always picturing forward to this new beginning. It was going to happen. It was the fact that they were going to have to leave in haste from Egypt. That old life is now a thing of the past. And even just think about the, how, um, how uh, leaven works, especially when you're doing like sourdough starter kind of thing, right? Where you're always taken from the old starter and building the new, right? And then you're feeding that old lump and, and beginning anew, right? Uh, and, and never beginning anew is the point I'm trying to say. It's like you're always um, building and continuing that um, culture of yeast. What happens when they leave Egypt in haste? They're now beginning completely afresh, right? There's an entirely new beginning. And so Paul's saying that's picturing your repentance, the fact that you are not going to uh, be like the world. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Okay, so have this new beginning, but then how is that gospel? For Christ, our Passover, Passover has also been sacrificed. How is Christ um, like the Passover lamb. Yeah. Yeah. Christ's blood is the sacrificial thing that God sees and passes over because Christ has been sacrificed in our place. So when, when uh, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, we're instantly thinking back to the Exodus story and the fact that because that lamb died, therefore Israel did not die. And so when Jesus at the Last Supper says, this is the covenant in my blood, he is claiming to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Let me just read a few more verses that connect us to this. First Peter 1, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
So what was your ransom price? What, what, what did God pay to get you out of bondage to sin? The blood of his own son, right? And that blood is as of a lamb without blemish or spot. And in, in all of this, Jesus is saying, Jesus is showing that he's better than anything that we've seen to this point. Think about Genesis 22. Abraham brings Isaac up on the, the mountain. Does Isaac die? No. The beloved son does not die. There is a substitute, the ram that's caught in the thicket who dies. Israel is God's beloved son. Does any, anybody in Israel die in, in the Exodus? No. There's the lamb that dies in its place. Jesus is the beloved son. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? But Jesus actually dies as our substitute. So he is the true and better son who actually is killed so that we can be saved. So how does this help us? Like, okay, we've seen the foundation story of Israel, Israel's relationship with God, and really anybody from the nations who wants to become part of Israel, their relationship with God is founded on grace, God rescuing them, right? Same thing with us. We are the new and better Israel. What are, what are some ways in which this passage encourages us um, as we're seeking to follow Jesus in the 21st century? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, the wonderful point that God's grace in salvation is never at the expense of his justice. Right? There was always a, a price paid, whether it was paid by the house itself with one their firstborn dying or whether it was paid by a substitute. But in every case, God claims his justice. Excellent point. Yeah. And so let's never like downplay the justice of God. Right. I mean, th- we're under tremendous pressure in our present time. This has always been the case, but it, it, we're always under pressure to capitulate on the justice of God. Um, and to downplay that he is a God of wrath and of righteous anger for sin, right? And we cannot capitulate on that. Yeah, other implications? Yeah, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, why why the breakdown into family units instead of just sort of like maybe having one sacrificial lamb for the whole of Israel? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question because, I mean, there are ways in which God deals with his people as a nation. And um, 
there's, you know, for example, the Day of Atonement sacrifice where there's one bull that is offered for all the people, right? But then there are also these sacrifices too where he deals with the people as, as, as families. Um, so, I, yeah. Okay. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. And, it, and just to emphasize that, that this, the, the underlying point in all of this ritual that they're doing is not works of salvation, but grace, right? Emphasizing to them grace, grace, grace. That God made a way for you to be saved, even though you're no better than Egypt. And did I see one hand over here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. They're, they're all identified together and doing the same thing together. Yeah. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saved together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Did I see your hand, Betty? Or no? Okay. Yeah, cool. Right. Yeah, no, there's an active active remembrance and act of faith that's going on here. This is not just sort of this passive thing. God wants them to do this so that they would actively remember what he's done for them. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the fact that he's actually, they actually have to very consciously choose to embrace this hope, which is the blood of the lamb, um, is a key, key piece here. They had to do this or they would have lost their firstborn. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's right. They didn't, they didn't get all the details um, played out necessarily, right? You just have to take me at your word. You need to put this blood on the household um, doorposts or things will not go well, right? And so that, that trusting that, okay, this is what we're going to do, trusting that God is going to honor this, even though we don't understand it all beforehand, right, is a key aspect of faith here. Well, let's, let's embrace God in, in this faith together. Lord, we do pray that we would be a people of faith, that we would remember what you've done for us in Christ, the great Passover lamb. And we thank you that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. And we, we ask that you would help us to live as those who are truly saved, who are no longer slaves of sin. The Lord, you would purge from us the old leaven of Egypt, and that you would help us to be a people 
who walk in uprightness, always remembering our true identity now as the people of God. We pray this would be true for our children who um, never had to, to walk in unbelief, never um, had to pass through what many of us pass through when, um, when we're not understanding the way of salvation and then later come to understand it. We pray for our children that they would embrace that they too are Israel in the profound ultimate sense of belonging to you as part of your covenant people and therefore reckoned as saved and as part of your your household. We pray that you would help our children to be people of faith, remembering all that Christ has done for them. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.